we learned as kids that weird equals wrong. And as adults in the professional world, there are even these awful algorithms, testing measures that are designed by math PhDs to identify anomaly and excise it. Mm -hmm. And that is the opposite of what we need to be doing. Weird is where the magic lives. If you find it, hold on to it, ride it to the future. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm really excited today because I am talking to two of the founders of Goodles, which is my new favorite brand of mac and cheese. So I'm going to introduce to you Deb Luster, who is on the founding team of Goodles. She's the chief impact officer and was also on the founding team of Annie's. So incredible background. And then I'm going to introduce also Paul Earl, who is the co-founder of Goodles. He's on the faculty of Northwestern as well at the Kellogg School. And so welcome to the podcast, you guys. I know you're both serial entrepreneurs. And so I have loads of questions for you and can't wait to dig into this with you guys. So great to be here. here. All right. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for making some time. I'm going to let you both take a minute, introduce yourselves and sort of talk about how you wound up here together with this new brand. Sure, I can start. So I'm Paul. I'm not Deb, for those of you listening. I'm Paul. (laughs) (laughs) And my kind of avenue into this really amazing and wonderful venture is branding. I live, sleep, eat, breathe brands. I obsessively collect words and phrases the way people collect coins and stamps. And I just love the idea of what we call mind into matter, how you convert intangible assets into real brands and businesses and companies with real product that you can go find on a shelf somewhere. And I'm happy to tell the story of the Goodles name later on in this episode, whenever you want. And that's kind of my way in. And then early in the process, I very fortunately met Deb. And Deb, you tell that story. Well, we have a really dear friend who's, I don't know if we mention her in the, but she's a wonderful woman who has been involved in many, many companies. Actually, I'm going to mention her. You can take her out. Cheryl O'Loughlin is a mutual friend of ours. And she yeah. started, she worked with Cliff Bar. She started Plum and she was the CEO of Rebel. And she's a dear friend of mine and a friend of Paul's. And when Paul came to her, I think with the idea, she yeah. said, you need to talk to Deb because she's a macaroni and cheese queen since <laughs> I helped start Annie's in 1990, 30 somewhat years ago. I don't know how that happened when I was wow. only 15. <laughs> but wow. so Paul called me and it was even right before the pandemic and said, I have this idea. And in the meantime, he was also talking to some other people. And then it was born in the pandemic. It was born during yeah. COVID with a lot of calls, a lot of Zoom calls. And a key part of this is Jennifer Zezet, who is not on this jam here, but it definitely is in spirit. She's our co-founder and CEO, and she's a four-time startup CEO, so total rock star entrepreneur. And she brought the business acumen, the operational chops, built-in network of investors, advisors, all the other functions you need to stand up a business from scratch. And And Deb's right. We did this during the darkest days of the pandemic. 
And remarkably, Jen and Deb and I didn't even meet in person until about eight months into the project, which is remarkable. (laughs) I mean, that's that's bananas. It really, it really is. We did it all through, you know, untold hundreds and hundreds of Zooms and phone calls. And we got to know each other really well while everyone's in lockdown and, and pulled it off. And in um, fact, we did a vote tasting that way too. So we did. one of our other founders, Molly Mache, who's just a rock star innovator, yeah. she spent hours and hours, countless hours in her own kitchen, which is state-of-the-art kitchen, and then sending us little baggies of all these different products to try. And we spent time, and we have a lot of these on Zoom, like and record Zoom because this is a time we're all going to try this together. And we had lots and lots of false starts. And then we finally got the secret sauce, which is, you know, obviously you've tried it. It's amazing. amazing. During the pandemic, seemingly a couple days a week, a FedEx would arrive at my house with product samples. And I'm I'm just glad I wasn't reported to the FBI or something, but (laughs) clearly something is really unusual going on here, all these shipments, but, but nope, just noodles. That's so funny. I want to ask you guys before we get to the name, because I think it's really, that's a really important question too. What made you think that starting a new brand of macaroni and cheese after all the things you've already done was going to be successful? Like there's some macaroni and cheese out there, lots of them. So tell me about that, because I think, you know, having an idea that's unique and fills a need is really important, obviously, when you're launching something. So talk a little bit about this one. Want me to take a shot, Deb? I'll let you go first for sure. Okay, I'll go and then you you pile on because this is an easy one. So from a macro perspective, people are looking for better alternatives to existing kind of incumbent old line solutions across consumer products. So, you know, whether it's ketchup or laundry detergent or underarm deodorant, whatever the case may be there is unprecedented appetite for improvement and also an unprecedentedly low level of kind of blind faith belief in the old school, especially young people. They have little appreciation, in some cases, contempt for these big old lumbering brands that are exactly the same as what their grandparents used to consume. So that's kind of the macro setting. And I've chronicled this for Forbes and other outlets, you know, this kind of revolution that's unfolding within consumer products. So as my partners and I were looking around, that includes Deb and Jen and others, you know, macaroni and cheese is a, not anymore, but is a duopoly. You know, you've got Kraft and Annie's which haven't fundamentally changed in years. 30 years. 30 years. And what change there has been has been negative and consumers are looking for better alternatives to incumbent state. And, you know, within Mac and cheese, there are other new brands that are out there. We tested them all and concluded that they don't taste very good and decided that there's an opportunity to make a product that was absolutely delicious and hit all the marks people wanted to hit from a nutritional standpoint. The noodle cat of pasta, pasta noodles is a $4.4 billion category. So it's as if the shelves are very stale. It's the same old, same old. Yeah. So when we started talking about this, and of course the Holy Grail is to have this extraordinary nutrition because we have 
protein, 15 grams as you make it and 21 nutrients from organic vegetables like kale and shiitake and plants basically. And you wouldn't taste it at all. In fact, this tastes so much better than everything that's out there in my opinion. And it's humble. (laughs) And we are actually trying to be humble, but we have discovered that people fall in love with this product and it feels good in their bodies as well. So it's a reimagining of an entire category and bringing people to those shelves, walking down that aisle that haven't been there either at all or for years. And with the young people, which is the millennials, we're really targeting younger folks. We're not targeting families as much. Obviously families are going to love this, but we really want the 20 somethings to the 45 year old to discover something new that's all theirs. And it's real. It's authentic. It's real people behind this. Annie's used to be the same thing, but we are gooder in every way. Gooder in every way. I love it. Can you talk now about the name since you got there organically? I'd love to hear you guys talk about that. Yeah. Well, is it doodles? (laughs) We have an answer for that. So here's the story behind the name. So, and actually it started with Gooder as part of the kind of sequencing that led to Goodall. So we were thinking about, okay, how to do a better mac and cheese. So, okay, so better mac. And then it just, it popped as, well, it would be kind of fun if it were Gooder, especially because Gooder is not actually a legit word in the English language. So it'd be more interesting and more memorable if it's Gooder. And then I thought, well, if it's gooder, then it's goodles. So gooder, goodles. And then wait a minute, or is it goodles? Mm-hmm. And it actually prompted a story, true story, put me on the polygraph. This actually happened. I hearkened back about 35 years ago when I was riding in a car with my grandfather, who was a linguist and loved wordplay and an incredibly funny guy. And we drove past a greasy spoon diner. And in the window of this diner, there was a neon sign that said, good food. And my grandfather said, Paul Jr., is it good food or good food? Which one is it? <laughs> and I, I laughed. It, it, I had the same reaction you did. I laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. And I, we went, you know, as we were driving down the road, we went on, on and on. Is it good food or good food? And the answer, of course, is, well, you know, these words look like they rhyme and should rhyme, but don't. That's the tension. So when we landed the name Goodles, I thought, oh, man, this one has the magic because it's not clear immediately how you're supposed to pronounce it. And that kind of interplay and fun is part of why it's such a memorable, fun endearing name. And we've had people argue in a friendly way about how to pronounce it. My position is whatever is good for you is good for us. We say goodles because we want to emphasize the good. But if you want to say goodles, go for it. Then it's goodles to you. And we're totally fine with that. We want to <laughs> leave it a little bit open. I love that. And I think it's so interesting because so many people would be so stressed over the fact that people weren't sure how to pronounce it. And I, I think you're seeing it as a, a really interesting topic of conversation and a way to get the name out there. And I think that's really, really smart. I'm interested in how you became an entrepreneur, Paul, when you mentioned that you love to collect words and phrases and talk a little bit about that because it's so interesting and you could feel it in the energy that you guys have. I want to get to that next. I want to talk about your energy, but I think it it really comes through in the brand. And so I just want to hear how you got to this point when you talk about your love for words and phrases and stuff. I'm a writer by background. 
actually a business person. I've, I've never been professionally trained as a writer. Oh, wow. But I, I, you know, I used to, I was editor of my newspaper in college and I've always enjoyed writing. And now as an entrepreneur, as a practitioner, and also academically, because I, I teach at Northwestern, I've long felt that as people talk about innovation, nomenclature usually isn't even in the equation. It usually doesn't even make the show, you know, but actually words are incredibly powerful. The right word at the right time can evoke emotion. You know, we've both stopped and started wars with language. You know, words have enormous power and enormous weight and they're the right ones are memorable, motivating, fun, engaging, you know, this is magic. And I think they're just potent. So I, you know, in my view, and this is bass backwards, itself a good word, by the way, I think naming nomenclature, storytelling, all of those elements of language should happen at the beginning of the journey, not at the end. And if you look at the way big companies do it, usually the naming process takes place at the very end of the line. I think it should start there. And so that that's just my view. So I, I've always been very moved by the power of words and I do collect them. <laughs> so That's cool. Do you feel like you had the name before you knew what, well, you had to know sort of what the product was going to be because it was related, but before you really figured it all out? Yes. Uh, but I will also say absent a great name, I probably wouldn't have been as interested in this, to be honest. I think, I think, and I think all of us would say that if this were Acme pasta company, mm-hmm. I don't think would have the same magic and energy and engagement. And I think we all would say that. And, you know, the whole team, by the way, we still have lots of fun with the name and looking good olds and, you know, our Instagram is all good olds, <laughs> you know, so, it, you know, it's a gift that keeps on giving from a... <laughs> An engagement standpoint. Our, our chief marketing officer isn't called her name. Her name's yes. last name's Wood, and we call her Woodles. So <laughs> yes, Heather Wood is known as Woodles. That's so, funny. so we, you know, we every day is really, really fun with this team. It's all gooder. <laughs> so it is really fun to talk to you guys, and your energy and the banter between you is really awesome from an energy perspective. And I will say, having experienced the brand myself, it's reflected in the brand. Like when I got the package, it was so much fun to open and the colors are amazing and it doesn't look like it's taking itself too seriously. And there was just so much about it that felt very engaging. So can you talk about how that played into the development of the product and your team? Because it all feels like it has to be connected because a team that was sort of like, we're going to make a mac and cheese and it's going to be really healthy and good for you. And we're very serious about it wouldn't have come to this place with this packaging in the product. You got to go for that, Paul. I mean, we we always wanted, this is a little noodle is always supposed to be about big noodle being so huge. But for us, it was always about having fun and being a little weird. Paul coined a phrase, oh, no, you didn't, which so when we're thinking about products and new products in our company, it's all in the spirit of, oh, yes, we did. And so we're always thinking about the kind of funnest, wildest, and most creative ways to express ourselves And we get to express it through this noodle and mac and cheese, which everybody loves. There's Mm -hmm. very few people on the planet. And I mean, on the planet, especially Canada and the U.S. that don't love mac and cheese. So what a great opportunity to express some fun. Paul, you can get in. Yeah. I mean, our view is that every nook and cranny 
of our brand and company is an engagement opportunity. It's an opportunity to make people smile, make them feel something, make them think something, inspire them to inspire us. You know, we have constant feedback loops going with people out there in the real world. And so we really set out to create a brand world, not just a one-dimensional logo and name. That's why, for example, we took such great laborious effort to name our flavor varieties. So it's not Asiago and Parmesan, it's Twist My Parm. And some of the rejected names are some of the funniest, <laughs> most outlandish Can things. Can we say ever. that one? Kiss yeah, My Asiago, Kiss My yeah, Asiago. Yeah, so Twist My Parm came about a heartbeat away from being called Kiss My Asiago. And we were serious. We almost did that until one of our legal advisors basically begged and pleaded with us not to do that. So we relented at the 11th hour and 59th minute, but it almost was that. And so, you know, our instructions on the back of the box were carefully written in our brand voice, our consumer call-in number you know, we have some companies call it merch. We do not call it merch. We call them goods. So we have lots of non-edible products like roller skates and stuffies and a hoodie for your dog. We have a vintage 1968 Myers-Manx dune buggy in the office. Like it's one of only 6,000 made. We found it on eBay and bought it, you know, we have a very strong bias to action. You know, if you have an idea, go do it. Don't talk about it, do it. So we were having a brainstorming one day that, you know, a dune buggy would fit in our brand world. So we'd found, we found one, we had one, we got one. Paul found one. Paul <laughs> yeah, found and it one. came into the, it's now in the office. So, you know, everything is about ideas manifested, you know, not, it's again, a bias to action and, and we're having fun, you know, when we were just starting, and again, this is also a great credit to Deb and Jen, our CEO, who's incredible. I think Jen is maybe one of the best entrepreneurs. Well, for sure, one of the best entrepreneurs I've ever met in my life. Deb, you too, by the way. But we all created playlists. Like, what does Goodles sound like to you? You know, we went through that exercise. We spent a lot of time before we even produced our first noodle talking about what Goodles feels like. You know, what is it? So, you know, we went to great, great lengths to really build this brand and the brand world. We have our brand inspirations. We have a brand book that is so yeah. wonderful that when I look at it, it makes me smile. Who's our inspirations? Bugs Bunny is one of them, you know, kind of like whimsical, a little quirky, a little bit, you know, tricky and fun. And so we really are all dedicated to the small noodles, like to those moments where we're going to be reaching out to customers, having impact. I'm the chief impact officer, so I care about the, the uh, we all do, but the goodness that runs through the company and everything we do is about how we actually impact the world with and inspire people to be gooder. One metaphor I, I've been thinking about lately is as follows. So Home Alone, the movie, mm -hmm. did a deal with Lego, and there is now a Home Alone Lego set that has almost 4,000 pieces in it. And the reason why that's possible is because there is so much detail in the movie Home Alone, so many stories, side stories, characters, icons, other visual assets. It's such a rich world. And so the question that I pose to others when I'm doing a talk or I'm talking to my students or other clients, whatever the case may be, is, is your brand rich enough and deep enough 
to be able to lend itself to a 4,000 piece Lego set? And the answer to that question, 999 times out of a thousand is no, you couldn't even make a 10 piece Lego set out of this thing. On Goodles, absolutely, we could do a 4,000 piece Lego set around the brand world we're building. And maybe we will, again, with the bias for action, maybe we actually will one day. We could. There's enough there. We could do it. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, done. Uh, I'm waiting. I'm going to wait for it. I'm going to wait for it. I'm interested to know how much your, I mean, you guys have a lot of success on your management team from an entrepreneurial standpoint, and that's not how most brands start. You obviously all did this at one point when you weren't experienced. Can you talk a little bit about how the team having been so successful already Like, are the stakes just as high for you guys as every brand you've started, or is it different? Well, I can say from my point of view, we're we're jump starting a lot. We're jumping over a lot of the things that I learned through many years. I think I've been an entrepreneur since 1990. And because we have such vast talent and Mm -hmm. so much deep history and experience, we're missing some of the, the downfalls, the pitfalls. We're kind of jumping over those. And because we're all coming together and we're talking a lot about it, we are basically fast start. You know, we're quick starting and we're actually skipping the hard parts or not the hard parts, but some of those things that you could actually be too Pollyanna about. You know, we know that there are challenges, but we know what those challenges might look like. Mm -hmm. And then we come together and create solutions before we even reach those challenges We're super deliberate, as Paul said, in everything we're doing, including in the brand, but also in the way we treat each other and the way we come to the world, but the way we come to internally. And so we created also, we were really careful about creating words that described our company within our company, a value proposition that was all agreed to with everybody. So the team came together and gelled really, really well. And we were super deliberate about that. The experience has only helped us jumpstart or or go faster than I've ever seen a launch happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are very fortunate. And by the way, we're on a daily basis, extremely aware of how fortunate we are. This is not normal, which might be the title of the book about Goodles. It's not normal. or That's one of a number of titles, actually, back to naming. We have a lot of ideas for that. (laughs) But one of the things we're grateful for is we have a number of people who are literally at the top of their game in their respective fields. Like Molly Mache is one of the best food R&D people there is, period. Our head creative, Dan Chadro, recently left Leo Burnett, which is one of the top global creative agencies in the world as one of their top creative executives. I mean, he's a stud. This guy's a rock star. You know, so we have people who are experienced and extremely accomplished in their respective swim lanes. And then Jen, like I mentioned, is one of the all-time great leaders and force marshalers and keeps us organized and focused, keeps the culture where it should be light and fun and respectful. And she's just an incredible executive. And, you know, as I think about the fact that we're all, we're not kids, you know, the management team, we've been around the block. Actually, my favorite quote comes from a relative of Deb's. So this is a little known fact, but Deb, I'm going to say it. Deb is an ancestor of Winston Churchill, who actually happens to be one of my favorite historical figures. And so when Churchill was 
and has been for a long time, not just because I met Deb. When Churchill was reflecting on his leadership during the Second World War, he said he felt as if all of his experiences prior were merely preparation for that challenge, which is really interesting. You know, Churchill was not a young guy when World War II hit. Mm -hmm. And he said, basically, my decisions and my leadership were, were essentially a composite of tons and tons and tons of prior experiences. And we kind of feel that way too. This is in many ways kind of a capstone challenge for us. Absolutely. We consider ourselves a unicorn. You know, we have unicorn as our little mascot on the side of the box. It's one of our many, but we also, I consider everybody that works with us unicorns too, just like the special find in a huge world. So I guess I have a question for both of you I want to ask. I have so many questions for you, but one thing is why. Why do another brand? Why did you do it, Deb? And why did you do it, Paul? Why not? You were both really successful. So what made you want to do it again? Because it's hard. I mean, even though you guys are having a great time and you have seemed to have a lot of it figured out, it still must be hard on some level. Very hard. Are you kidding? Okay. I'm glad because I, I mean, I'm not glad, but I, I want people to know the truth. Like you guys are making it sound like so much fun, which it is, but also it has to be a hard decision to go do it again, start it during a pandemic. Like talk about why. Mm. <laughs> well, you have to take a deep breath when you think about starting another company yeah. and are, are you all ready and on board? For me, it's a full circle back to where my heart started, where I started my my world in the CPG world and my first entrepreneurial, big entrepreneurial experience was Annie. So for me, it was easy for me to say this at my age where I am, this is like, as Paul said, a capstone. It's really a full circle and coming back to a passion I've always had and how you touch people's lives in their homes while they're eating because Everybody from all age and all walks of life love mac and cheese. So you can touch their lives by touching their, their bodies. And, but it was a deep breath for all of us to say, are we ready to do this? And there was not that much. I mean, there were small amounts of convincing. I'm sure that Paul managed. And the cool thing is that a lot of our investors have seen, they understood pretty easily what our proposition was because mac and cheese is an easy thing to understand. Yeah. Everybody's had it. So it's just, it's better. But I don't feel like being an entrepreneur is ever easy. It is a lot of work. It is a lot of commitment. And if you're not going to have fun, I mean, I look at it as purpose and patience, persistence and proposition that is, I love peace that yeah. have wonderful people. And so along with the product, which is another P. <laughs> I think it's a, for me, it's a matter of duty. And I think, by the way, that's D-U-T-Y, not D-O-O-D-Y, just for those scoring. I was actually wondering. Duty, (laughs) duty. And I, you know, I am fortunate to have a few good ideas. I have some terrible ones too, by the way, you know, it's like Reggie Jackson leads the all-time Major League Baseball, you know, in home runs. He also leads in strikeouts. So I have some clunkers too, but, you know, I feel... I just felt like at this stage in my career, there's a duty to try to get ideas made, you know, especially ones that have that kind of intangible magic that is very rare. And Goodles has that. And I just felt like it would be almost a breach of my duty to myself and my family and the greater good to just let it collect dust and sit there and 
not do anything. You know, there's a saying that of all the words of mouth or pen, the saddest are these, what might have been, you know, I try to avoid those. And, you know, I hope that when I'm older and gray and sitting on the front porch, I can look to, you know, great new brands and businesses that are out there that I contributed to. And so, you know, this is part of that mission. That's awesome. Can you guys talk about some of the lessons you've learned that you want to share with other entrepreneurs and other founders so that they might not bump into them? I've got way too many, but I believe the (laughs) the most important is the partnerships that you create. So creating partnerships with your investors and making sure that they're the right investors that are aligned, that are investing in you and your proposition and not you know, that they're all aligned on the same page and that they believe in everything that you're doing, finding the right partners to work with and finding in every small way, there's everything from packaging design to PR agencies, to marketing, all of these are partners and they're part of our team. Our customer service is a part of our team. So finding the right people to work with. And when you don't, sometimes that is very often, that is the downfall of a company is not finding the right people to work with in the right companies, investors, organizations, and teaming partners. How do you know when you have the right, or even more importantly, wrong investor? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, we have the right ones. We love our investors. We do. So we we, we, we love our investors. There. And we actually say no to investors if mm-hmm. we can tell if we have the idea that they may be looking at us for the wrong reasons. So I think really it's important to just see them in different ways. So we actually, and I I think Paul can speak better to this, but when we've met our investors, we've met them in person, we've met them in different settings. They either get us or they don't. And I think that it's also, it's a dance and you're figuring it out as you are becoming partners. So we know some of our investors are the most amazing. and, And then we're learning, we learned about new investors and we, bring them carefully to the table. But sometimes you don't know until it's too late. But I, I think in our case, we all of our investors have become our friends, really, really yeah. part of our world, our gooder world. Yeah. I mean, it, again, it comes down to feeling and chemistry and vibe and all of those really qualitative factors that don't appear anywhere in mm-hmm. a finance textbook. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, but then again, we're, you know, that's how we, that's how we operate. Feeling is very important to us and everything we do, but it's chemistry. You know, there's a lot of money out there and we're, you know, very mindful to make sure we, we pick our partners based on how we get along and, and questions like, do we share values? Is this someone who would be fun to have a beer with, you know, things like that. It's so interesting. Cause I think that's so important and probably so hard when you're a first-time founder to even think about because you've got so many things in your mind and you're trying to learn everything as you go. And, you know, I personally think as a marketer and a person in business, finding partners that you are happy to have a beer with or sit down and have a conversation with is so important. And it's one of those intangibles, like you said, that's hard to think about when you've got your checklist of what you want and what's important. So that seems like a lesson that might take a little while to learn. I don't know, but it feels like you guys, obviously you've been doing this for a while. Can you talk a little bit more about how you find people that you even get to the place where you want to have a beer with them? <laughs> By the way, beer or whatever, whatever you're drinking, whatever your is. beverage of choice may be, yeah. it, could, it could be a, you know, a lot it could of be a kombucha or a vodka, exactly or a, a kombucha, kombucha or a glass of water, whatever yep. metaphorical beer. <laughs> 
you know, you know I, can I speak to a little one? Go second? ahead, Deb. The good news is that we all have a lot of experience. So we actually know a lot of the people that are out in the world. Lucky us, right? We've all worked with people in the past. So we know there are reputations. We have friendships that are already based really deeply in the world of investors and investment, or we know reputations. So we're really, really blessed, fortunate to have the experience that leads us on the right path. So that's the beginning. And then they often, because we also have had a great experience, people come to us and talk to us about it. So we're really blessed that way. But Paul, keep keep speaking. Keep yeah. So we, again, within the theme of this is not normal, my partner, Jen, our partner, Jen, has been around the block more than I have when it comes to venture funded companies. But I've been around the block and I have never seen a brand or company that has garnered this level of interest from the financial community. I've never seen it. Not even close. I've never seen, you know, we've been on allocation a number of times where, and by that, I mean, the level of interest in dollar amount is larger than what we're able to actually accept. Mm-hmm. That's not normal. <laughs> okay. So, you know, it's yet another dynamic of this magic carpet ride that is highly unusual. And, you know, we're just doing the best we can to manage it and stay cool and stay level-headed. We're never too big for our britches here. And we're just, you know, managing every day with gratitude and eyes wide open about what's in front of us. So what do you attribute that to? Is it the team? Is it where you are from a brand standpoint? Is it, I don't, we haven't even talked about where your distribution is, if you, Mm -hmm. or if you're just DTC, what are you attributing that to now? It's yes. And, and I think we're moving into a yes. And economy. We have been for a while. It's all there. We've got brand magic. We've got an incredible product that is like the food equivalent of, you know, a radical breakthrough in that it tastes so good and is really good for you. That's why the unicorn is our mascot. It's supposed to be impossible. Mm-hmm. So we have an impossibly great product, great team, big category that was waiting for disruption and didn't mm-hmm. even know it. And so it's all great leadership. You know, Jen, I can't speak to myself, but Jen and Deb, and you know, we also have Gal Gadot, who is an amazing person, an actress and philanthropist, best known as Wonder Woman. We know her as Gal. She's incredible and is a part of the story we haven't really talked about yet. So it's all there. And it's not, I guess it's fairly rare to see a company that checks so many boxes. Was it important to you guys to have a celebrity as part of your team? Or was that just a coincidence? Based it was, on- you know, it was a wonderful kind of perfect wave, I guess you might say. Jen had had a relationship with Gall in her former company and Gall loves mac and cheese. So it was just this opportunity we never thought about when Paul and Jen and I and Molly got together. We never thought about having a celeb as being an important piece. Mm-hmm. We actually thought about it, maybe it wasn't a great idea until we met Gall and yeah. she she's so authentic. She loves mac and cheese. She is just now she's part of our family. Can't even imagine this company without her. And she's, it's been such an awesome, amazing experience because she's elevated. She's been a megaphone for a product that is everybody knows to be magical who has tried it. She's just part of that an extraordinary. She's a sparkle on the magic for sure. Yeah. There are many companies and Jen, Jen and I talked about this early. There are many companies that launch with really lovable brands and good products and nobody's heard of them. 
Mm-hmm. And so by bringing in gall early, we remove the possibility of that being a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, she has 80 million followers on Instagram. And so, you know, the internet often goes berserk whenever she does anything. And so she's been a fantastic partner for us. And I will tell you, having gotten to know her personally, you know, she's not just a celebrity endorser. She is smart. She's engaged. She gets it. We were really impressed as we got to know each other by how many really insightful questions she asked. I mean, she went right to the heart of the issue fast, which is a mark of intelligence, by the way. And it was just a great, great chemistry, great relationship from the beginning. And and she's one of us. So great. are there any challenges you guys are facing right now? Like you have, what are the no. things that you're, you're facing <laughs> that are like hard and you feel mean, like, I don't know how we're going to get through this. Cause the challenges really for us right now as a company, yes, making sure that we have a lot of product on hand because we have, yeah. we're actually having to turn away. We have so many retailers. So our, right now we're in target stores. So you asked mm-hmm. that question earlier, we're in all the target yes. stores. And we are soon, and in many cases, we're in all we're in Whole Foods. We're going to be in all the Whole Foods very soon. It's rolling out right now, and we have so much interest in our product, and we just want to make sure that we can make sure they all get the product. So we're deliberately rolling it out the way we we need to do so. And I think that's the biggest challenge we have is just to make sure we have the, enough product on hand to meet the demand, and then to be super deliberate about how we roll it out to our retailers to make sure we don't drop anything, that we're still holding our customer in the same space and place Mm -hmm. that we have from the very beginning, and that we have all the resources and people in place to do that, just that. So I think that's our biggest challenge from my point of view. Yeah, what she said. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, we've talked about it as a board, and we said, what could go wrong here? Yeah. And the unanimous consent was really, you know, if you want to screw this up, start getting over your skis relative to retail commitments and your ability to deliver. So we're like Deb said, we're being really thoughtful and mindful to make sure that we have enough supply to meet demand and we won't start over promising. I have a question about distribution. So you have a lot of demand. You probably could get distribution in a lot more places than usual for a brand that's so early on. Are you worried about over-distributing from a, we can't support the retailer's perspective or just from a delivering enough product perspective? I think both. I think we just need to be really mindful. Mm -hmm. I also feel like strategy-wise, rolling out to Target, so we showed the world that it's for everybody. Both is also, this is better for you. And just being deliberate about how we approach our go-to-market strategy and supporting it in all the ways that, you know, we support a target really well with Gall, you know, fun, really wonderful posts that really, really elevated our position there. And keeping that same sort of enthusiasm and our same kind of our goodness with all of the different retail partners that we have, you can go in my past, I've gone really big, really fast in a company I had that is no longer in business. It's one of those you know, those moments that you say, wow, I know what I did wrong is that I got in everywhere, but I couldn't support it with marketing and the, you know, kind of the pull through that you need at the store level. Cause we need to make sure people go getting on the shelves of one thing, getting it, making sure that people buy it is a whole nother. And we know this is magic. We want to be very, very careful about how we look at deliberate about this magic. We've said no to (laughs) multiple major retailer inbounds. 
to the point where I wasn't on this particular call. It's a major, major retailer. I won't name it by name, but they said, yes, we'd like to put in a purchase order for blah, blah, blah. And we said, sorry, no, I really appreciate it. Thank you. No, can't do it. And the answer was, come again. Hello. Do we have like a connection problem? I'm so-and-so and I want to buy your product. Nobody says no to us ever. You don't yep. say no. We were like, look, we're not, you know, we're no thank you. And no. we'll back to you. So yeah. you know, we're making the hard calls and doing things that most companies don't. Yeah. We're not okay. doing things that most companies do put better. So we're getting up to the almost an hour, which is so incredible. I think we could talk for two hours, but I know we can't. So I want to ask you guys each to give one really important piece of advice for people who are out there trying to figure out how to make their brands work. I'll start. Look for things that are weird and quirky, anomalous, and nonsensical, like words that should rhyme but don't. Design worlds that should fit but don't. Square pegs and round holes. Look for things that are markedly different and that where the math doesn't work, it doesn't add up. And lean in hard. That's the magic. We learn as school children starting in, you know, third grade that weird is bad. You know, there, mm-hmm. there are cultural and even disciplinary punishments for people who behave differently. We learned as kids that weird equals wrong. And as adults in the professional world, there are even these awful algorithms, testing measures that are designed by math PhDs to identify anomaly and excise it. Mm-hmm. And that is the opposite of what we need to be doing. Weird is where the magic lives. If you find it, hold on to it, write it to the future. That's my advice. Weird. I love it. It's my favorite piece of advice I've heard. It's so much fun to think about it that way because you're just taking off your handcuffs and thinking about possibilities instead of the opposite, which is so great. I was reading a great article on Melissa McCarthy, who has a great show out now. Love her show. I've just been watching it. Yeah. And she said, and they were talking to her about her creative process. She said, you know, producers are often afraid of things that are weird because they think weird gets really small and niche. But the weird stuff is actually what performs the best commercially. And I completely agree. (laughs) So Goodles is super weird. It's weird intentionally. It was born weird. And that's part of why we're off to a good start. Amazing. Deb, what about you? Well, I, I, I'm completely in agreement with weird because I am weird and I love weird. <laughs> and along with that, I, I really think it's important to marry your passion with your purpose. So I think that the hardest part about being an entrepreneur is that it's a lot of work, but if you're passionate about it and you have some purpose that's aligned, something bigger than yourself or bigger than the product itself, what you're going to be doing in the world, if you marry that then you will be able to sustain the kind of perseverance that you need to get through. And the other two pieces is it's gritty, right? You roll up your sleeves. You don't be afraid to fall. Don't be afraid to be weird. Don't be afraid to be authentic. When you're like looking at the brink of something and you're about to fall or fly and you're not quite sure, do that telephone call that they do on the, that, you know, call, get advice. There are people out there that want mm-hmm want to mentor, you can always call people that have done it before. Uh, it's one of the things, the reason way Paul and I met was just talking about starting a company and we became friends through that. 
I'm really big on finding mentors, finding people that know more than you do. And most great people that have done great things want to help other people and reach and help them out. So do you guys mentor? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm a teacher. Yep. My whole mission is to help others achieve their dreams. And I'm 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 a mentor and coach for about 12 different founders right now. Yeah. Amazing. Yep. Wow. So how, Paul, what do you teach? Innovation and entrepreneurship. I knew you were going to say that. I actually, I <laughs> I'm really a pottery knew. instructor. No, I, <laughs> I literally was thinking you were going to say entrepreneurship, but then I thought yes. you might say innovation, which is so cool. And right. Deb, how do you get, how do you find people? They just come to me. They come people to tell people and yeah. a lot of the, it's a lot of consumer products, but other things that just friends tell friends you need to talk to Deb. And so I've been working with other, with founders for years and years, and it's my passion to help them bring to life their ideas. It's amazing. Amazing. Well, I suspect you're going to get a lot of emails or LinkedIn. (laughs) Just because this is so much fun talking to you guys. I can't, I would love to be mentored by you guys if I were starting a brand because it's fun to talk to you. And I think there's a seriousness and a scariness about founding brands that happens to people. And I think that how you guys are talking about it, it makes it seem, yes, it's hard, but also it can be fun. And I think that's a big kind of takeaway from this that I haven't really heard people talk about before. It, it doesn't always seem as fun as you guys are making it seem. So it should be, it's, if it isn't, there's a problem. It's supposed yeah. to be fun. Yeah. Awesome. Any last thoughts you guys want to share before we wrap up? I I just so appreciate all the time that you've given so far. So thank you so much. I would just say, check us out at Target. We're at all Target stores nationally, soon Whole Foods nationally, and also goodles.com. Keep an eye on us there. And then all goodles is our Insta handle. And then Gal Gadot also posts regularly about us. You can, you can be one of the 80 million followers of Gal over on that channel. We also have some new products coming out, so stay tuned. They're really fun collaborations. And we're definitely, oh, no, you didn't, and a little weird. So you'll be hearing more about that soon. Look out. Awesome. Well, I will say, be careful if you find Goodles, because you're going to get addicted. (laughs) It's going to be too good. Good. That's how I feel. I really appreciate your time, guys. Thank you so, so much. Christy. Thanks. I'll talk to you guys soon. Okay. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.